0: I'm Dr. Dan Davidian. I'm a sedation and cosmetic dentist uh, here in Raleigh. My wife and I purchased uh, a dental practice back in 2003. One of the biggest challenges, you know, we face in business is um, how to, you know, balance personal and business. Um, you know, we have a spiritual component, and how does that integrate into our practice? It's interesting because, as a newer Christian, I had a friend of mine who had ran marathons, and so I was training for a marathon with him and um, at the end of the run he'd kind of always say a prayer about the day to start the day off and I realized how starting my day off with prayer really really affected the rest of my day and how it helped bring Christ into the the forefront and so it helped me guide my decisions and um, you know shortly after that I realized that's how I needed to start my day irrespective of if I had gone on a run that morning. And so that's how we integrated into the practice about praying in the morning. One of the easiest easiest things I could do as a business owner was to pray. Um, You walk in and you get people together and you say a prayer and you get people aligned and um, it dramatically changes the way your day goes. They're ready to tackle the problems of the day as opposed to dread them. You know, when they see the effect it has on their day, just to reorient and get things out in the forefront, that you can't not appreciate. I mean, you know, every day I struggle as a business leader to, you know, to make decisions. The easy part's praying. The hard part's living, living it every day.
1: That's my dentist. (laughs) Dan's a great guy. This weekend we're starting our new series, You at Work, and uh, hey, this is a series for everybody, right? And I'm telling you, you're going to learn stuff in this series. You're not going to learn in college. You're not going to get this in the MBA program. We're going to get God's view and perspective on work, and it's relevant for everybody. I mean, a lot of you are in the workplace. Got a lot of students, and college students, and and maybe you haven't engaged the marketplace yet, but you're going to be there. These are great principles for you to know ahead of time. A lot of you, maybe you're stay-at-home moms, nobody works harder than you do, but this idea of everything you do, do it as if God is your boss, Jesus is your boss, it's certainly for you. If you're retired, I got nothing. I got nothing for you. In fact, I can't find retirement in the Bible. I don't know where we came up with that idea. My mom's 81, every once in a while I'll call her and i say, mom, what'd you do today? She said, I went and cleaned an old lady's house. I'm like, mom, you're 81. How old is this woman's house (laughs) that you're cleaning? That's the old lady. I mean, retirement is not in the Bible. Moses started a whole new career at 80, you know? And so maybe if you're retired and you're just enjoying the good life, waiting to die, maybe this will be the series where you say, maybe it's time to get back to work. Maybe a second calling, a whole new career. God may want to do something in this portion, this season of your life that would absolutely blow your mind. So this is a series that's relevant for everybody. And uh, it's interesting, there, there's a variety of occupations that are mentioned in the Bible. They're all, they all seem to be relevant. Um, Abraham was a cattle rancher. David and Moses, they were shepherds. How about Amos, the prophet? Anybody know what he was? He was a fig picker. That'll look good in your resume. You know, I'm a fig picker. You know, I don't know what you do with that, but he was a fig picker. A lot of the disciples were fishermen, tax collectors. One was a doctor. Jesus was a carpenter. And I don't think we actually think about this, but, when he, you know, in, in Jesus' day, when you were thir- if you were a 13-year-old male, you were an adult. Oh, we long for the good old days, right? You were an adult, and you acted like an adult. You maybe got married. You started business. If you think about it that way, Jesus spent 90% of his life running a family business. He was a carpenter. And we never think about it that way, but he did. And maybe that explains why, of the 52 parables that Jesus taught, 45 of them have a marketplace context Jesus knew a lot about work and I know what a lot of you're thinking okay Mike what do you know about work you're a pastor you show up and talk a little bit on Saturday and Sunday I'd love that gig you know what do you know how can you help us with this concept of work well I want you to know just like Jesus before I actually got into ministry I did have some real jobs Uh, my first job I was around 15 and I began to work at a guy's garage and uh, I, I was great, I could take carburetors apart, engines apart, uh, transmissions apart, rear ends apart, all kinds, that's a car, okay? Uh, I could do all kinds, I couldn't put them back together. But I was great at taking stuff apart, right? And so my future as a mechanic didn't look real bright, and so I did a lot of years in the grocery business. I spent time repossessing cars in Los Angeles, how about that? I used to work for some attorneys, I served uh, su- summons and subpoenas, and I videoed people you know, uh, cheating on their spouses, that's, that's a great gig, you know? In fact, that probably explains why one time I'm watching TV, I'm watching a ball game, and I sense Lars looking at me. And I look over at her, and she's just looking at me. And I said, what? She said, you ever thought about what your life would be like if you hadn't met me? (laughs) I hurt my feelings. (laughs) And I said, yeah, I'd look younger and have more hair. I didn't say that, actually. I, I thought it. But, I, you know, there's no way in the world I was actually going to say that. But, you know, my, I, and then I, you know, I taught, and then I ended up being a pastor. My, my, my point is, you know, um, just like Jesus, I spent a good portion of my life working for the man, you know what I'm saying, before I actually began to work for God. It, at least that was my perspective. But it's interesting, when you study the Bible, you get a totally different view of work and what you spend a third of your life doing, okay, when you see it from God's perspective. So if you have your Bible, let's go where it talks about it, Genesis chapter two. I want us to look there because it's the first time that work is ever mentioned in the Bible. Genesis chapter two, if you have a brand new Bible, go to the very beginning, find the very first book, go to the second page and you have found it. Genesis chapter two, beginning in verse eight, it says this, now the Lord had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man. Okay, this is Adam. The man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Drop down to verse 15. It says this. The Lord God took the man. He took Adam. And he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So that verse tells us the very first thing that God did with the very first person who ever lived and inhabited planet earth, Adam. The very first thing that God did was give him a job. And I take it by the way the verse reads that this was a consuming responsibility. He was to cultivate the garden. He was to take care of the garden. He was was to fertilize it and prune it. And there were times he had to get in there and pull the weeds. I mean, this was really his baby. Now, since we're in Genesis, a lot of people think that, that work, this idea of work was a result of the fall. Adam and Eve sinned. Sin came into the world, there was the fall, and as a result of that, part of the penalty was we have to work, that's not true. The sweat is part of the curse, the toil is part of the curse, but the work, that's not, work's not part of the curse. This idea of work, this concept of work, you gotta understand, it was created in the context of innocence in this perfect world before the fall ever took place. So work isn't a curse. In fact, I believe that work, we're gonna see in this series, is one of the greatest privileges that God gives us. It's this ability to work. In fact, if you, if, if you really study Genesis chapter two, you see, I mean, it's so important to God. Not only did God give Adam a job, if you read the entire account, you get the idea that God was kind of jacked up about it. He was kind of excited. I mean, it's, it's like when your kid comes home, finally gets a job. You know how you feel, parents? You're proud of them, you're excited. I think God had that kind of excitement for Adam to have this job. And he has the job, and his job is working a garden. Now, i got to be honest with you. My reaction to that is, really, God? I mean, that's the best you can do? This is the crown jewel of your creation? I mean, you took some dirt, you put it all together, you made man, you breathed into his nostrils the, the breath of life, he became a living soul, the crown jewel of creation, and the best job you can come up with him is, hey, here's a garden, take care of your garden. I mean, couldn't you at least call him a farmer? You know, farmers, you get to wear stuff like this. Farmers, you get to wear, drive around on big tractors. Farmers are sexy, you like to live in Fuquay. I mean, it's cool to be a farmer. Gardeners, I don't know, not so much, not when I read it. But th- in this verse, we get the first hint from God about his attitude toward work. And what we learn is this. What's most important to God about work isn't what's most important to us about work. Because what's important to us about work is where we work. That's very important to us. How much do we make? That's very important to us. But what's most important to God is how do we do what we do when we work? And that's really hard for us to understand. I mean, you may be here this weekend and and you're in your current job and you think, really, Mike? Seriously, who really cares about what I do? Anybody could do what I do. What I do, is not important, it's not significant. Nobody at the company even knows I exist. In fact, the company I work for, they could go out of business tomorrow and the world wouldn't miss a beat. I mean, maybe that's how you feel about your job. Insignificant, unimportant, it's just something you do. You punch in, you punch out, you get a paycheck. It is just a job. And then, of course, there's some of you here this weekend, and you maybe have your own company. Maybe you've built it from the ground up. But I guarantee you this. There are days when you walk away, and you get in your car, or you get into your pickup truck, and you look over your shoulder, and you see the office or the warehouse or the plant where you have built with your hands, right? And I'm sure you look at it some days and think, really? That's it? That's all there is to it? I mean, the reality is, regardless of what you do, even in my job as lofty as I think my job is, as important as I think my job is, as high a calling as I think my job is, there's a lot of futility in all of our work. There are days like, really? Really? Is it really worth it? I mean, is anybody listening to anything I have to say? There's a lot of, I think that's what uh, Solomon was talking about when he wrote Ephesians chapter 2 verse 17. He said, I hated life. Well, why Solomon? Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it Meaningless, And maybe that's how you feel about your job. That's how you feel about work. It is just meaningless. You wish you could do something of meaning in your life. But this is what we're gonna learn this weekend. The way we evaluate the significance of what we do is different than the way God evaluates the significance of what we do. And it's because when we think about work, we look at the task. We look at what we have to get done between eight and five, what we have to get done in 40, 50, 60 hours, what we're gonna get paid for it. But you understand, God looks at something entirely different different in fact if you have your Bible turn with me from Genesis chapter 2 over to the New Testament find the book of Colossians Colossians chapter 3 we're gonna look at a few verses while you're turning there let me give you the context because the context of of Colossians chapter 3 is very very important to what we're gonna be studying in this series when Paul wrote the the book of Colossians he's he's writing a, a group of believers Christians in the city of Colossae and in this in this letter this little letter he writes them he addresses a number of different issues and one of the issues he addresses is how we respond how we act how we behave in a work environment in the marketplace but what's interesting is the very first group he addresses they don't have careers they didn't have jobs like most of us do because the first group that he addresses you'll notice they're slaves and Paul doesn't say to the slaves what we would probably say to the slaves if we were writing a letter to the slaves I mean if I'm writing a letter to slaves I'm going to say something like dear slaves run Dear slaves, build an underground railroad and get the heck out of Dodge. You weren't created to be a slave. God doesn't want you to be slave. God wants you to be free. But this is what Paul says to the slaves when he writes them in Colossians 3, verse 22. Slaves, obey your masters in everything. In other words, if you're a slave, be the absolute best slave you can possibly be. Don't just do what the master asks, go the extra mile. And we'll look at this in a couple of weeks, but when you get to chapter 4, verse 1, he writes to the masters and the slave owners. And when he writes them, he doesn't write what I would probably write. If I were writing to the masters, the slave owners, I, I would probably write, hey, guys, quit being a jerk. Do the right thing. Let those slaves go free. But that's not what Paul writes. He writes, be a good master. Do the right thing by your slaves. So he writes, if you're a slave, be a great slave. If you're a master, be a great master. But then in between these, the the slave and the master, what happens is he addresses all of us, all of us. And that's important because when you think about it, all of us, in reality, we're somewhere between master and slave. Now some of you at work, you'll go to work this this weekend and you'll be a boss, but you're not a master. I mean, you may act like a master. And, and the people who work for you may see you as a master, but you're not really a master. You don't own those people. You're a boss. You're a superior. You're someone they report to. And then there are some of you, well, you know, you're, you do feel like you're kind of a notch above a slave. And I get it. You probably went to Carolina. Now you're working for a Duke grad. I get it. I just, that's just the way life is. But what we're going to see is all of us fall somewhere between a master and a slave. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes to us in verse 23. Whatever you do whatever you do. Now you gotta understand, this isn't for that season of life when you finally get your dream job. This isn't for that season of life when you finally get to start your own company. This isn't for that time in life when you finally get the promotion you deserve or the corner office or you finally make full partner or you finally get stock options. That's not, whatever you're doing right now in your present job, slave, master, anywhere in between, verse 23, work at it with all your heart. Work at it with all your heart. Give it all your heart. And again, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, but but Mike, if you really knew what I do for a living, I mean, if you really knew what my job is, there is no value whatsoever to what I do. I just sell stuff. Somebody else said, I just make stuff that other people sell. Or maybe you clean up after people who make the stuff for somebody else to sell it. Or maybe you say, I just flip burgers, how important is that? Or I drive a truck and deliver boxes all day, you know? You're thinking, Mike, seriously, why in the world would I put my heart into that job? The people I work for don't even put their heart into the job. You're asking me to do that on top of that. They treat me like dirt. On top of that, every year, my benefits get cut. On top of that, we've had layoffs. I, I now do the work that six people used to do. And Mike, you're telling me you want me to put my heart into my job, do it with all my heart, when I know these people could care less about me. Some of, see, some of you hear what Paul is saying, and you think you get a pass, that you're the exception, until you remember, he's talking to masters, he's talking to slaves, and he's talking to everybody in between, okay? And this is what he says, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, now here's the key, as working for the Lord, not men. In other words, he says, when you go to work, you put your whole heart into your job, whatever it is, whatever it is, as if you're working for Jesus. You work as if Jesus is your direct report. He is your CEO. He's the one that you're accountable to. By the way, what does it even mean to do our job as working for the Lord? What would it even mean this, to work for Jesus as, as if he's our boss? I mean, we, we, we know what it means to do our job as working for men. We get that, you know, do just enough to get by. Always appear to be busy moving papers around, you know, especially if somebody's watching. We got that down, you know. Make sure you say the right things at the right time to look indispensable. You know, take credit for other people's ideas. Jockey for position, kiss up to the boss. You know, we all have these games we play. And we play them because we know what, it's look lo- what it looks like to go out there and work as if we're working For men, we get that, we're experts at that. Paul says, no, 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 you gotta think a different way. I'm calling you to a new standard of living. I want you to go to work, regardless of what your job is. And I want you to get in there, and I want you to do that job with all your heart. In fact, I want you to do that job as if at the end of the day, you're reporting directly to Jesus. You're going to give an account to him. In fact, if you need some motivation, he gives us some in verse 24. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. You will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And all of a sudden, Paul pulls us back into this broadest of contexts. And he says, you know, the reason I can say this with authority is this. As a Christian, ultimately, you're going to give an account of your life for every single part of your life. And you got to understand, God's looking at our life, and God doesn't compartmentalize. He's not just looking at our marriage. He's not just looking at our parenting skills. He's not just looking at how we handle our finances. He's not just looking at how we deal with morality as a single. He's not just looking at that. God is looking at your entire life. God is looking at the full body of work. And, and whereas your employer, he's going to reward you in the context of a job. Yeah, you're going to get a salary. Maybe you're going to get bonuses. Maybe you're going to get some stock. Paul says, you got to understand, you got a big boss in the sky who is measuring your faithfulness at every single level of life. And ultimately, when it's all said and done, when you punch in and punch, Out at the end of the day, and you draw that paycheck. Ultimately, you're accountable to Him. So, why in the world would you go to work for your employer that you may not even work for in 18 months? You may not even work for them in two or three years. And then, why would you just work as unto them when, in fact, in the big scheme of things, you're going to be rewarded and you're going to be judged by your heavenly Father? for your faithfulness in every area of your life, and that includes the work area of your life because faithfulness to your job is also faithfulness to your Father who's in heaven. Now let me just ask you a question. When's that last time you went to work with that attitude? When's the last time you went to work? And I don't care how boring it was. It's just, ultimately, it's not for the man. Ultimately, it's not for the company. I'm working diligently because ultimately God is my boss and He is going to reward me for my diligence accordingly. Well, that would put a new spin on work, wouldn't it? By the way, Jesus regularly taught that after we die, we move to the next life. We go to heaven, you know, we 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 read in Revelation there's a new heaven and a new earth. But here's the reality for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ and we, we get to join up with him in the afterlife in that new heaven, that new earth, guess what? We're gonna work. And some of you are thinking, well, I thought that was heaven. What do you mean we're gonna work? Yeah, I mean, really? Do you want just a halo and a harp and float around for eternity? How boring would that be? No, you're gonna work. In fact, you go to 1 Corinthians 15, it kinda sets it up. Uh, one, you know, Jesus came to this earth the first time. Okay, Christmas. Jesus came he was born he's going to return to this earth again the first thing he's going to do he's going to destroy it this is not what he created he's going to destroy it now let me just say this I care about the environment but knowing that Jesus is going to destroy it anyway what's a couple of plastic bottles going to hurt you know what I'm saying in the big scheme of things anyway don't send me any emails about that it's just I'm just thinking out loud now But he's gonna come and he's gonna destroy it. Now think about this. Then he's gonna put it all back together and recreate it in that perfect state just like he created it originally. Now let's think about it. In the perfect state, in the state of innocence, before the fall, man worked. In that perfect state of innocence, We're going to work again. And if you still don't believe me, here's a verse, Revelation 22, 3. This is talking about the new heaven, the new earth. It says this, the throne of God and the lamb, that's Jesus, will be in the city, will be in this new heaven. And his servants, that's us, who are followers of Jesus Christ, we will serve him. We're going to work for Jesus, even in heaven. And if you read it, some of us are going to have positions. Some of us are going to have responsibilities some of us are going to have jobs i don't know about you i don't want to be sweeping streets in heaven you know what i'm saying i don't want everybody walking by me who's got the good thing going on and like well, yeah tells you how you lived your life but we're going to be working in heaven so the implications of what paul wrote is this god right now while we're working he is watching our diligence now to determine how we can be trusted later that's why jesus would say things like if i can trust you with a little now then i know i can trust you with a lot later in my new kingdom so this is what we have to remember what we do our title our position you know our job is not anywhere near as important to God God is not impressed by that stuff you know what he's impressed by whatever our job is he's impressed by how we do it in other words the significance of our work from God's perspective isn't in the details of how much we accomplish it's not in the title that's on our door It's not in the paycheck at the end of the day. The significance of our work is our willingness to put our heart into whatever God has called us and placed us to do at the time that we're doing. The reason that this is so hard for us is because we focus on the what? What am I doing? Is it prestigious? Do people respect me? We think about things, Are the where? I work at this company, I work at that company. That's very important to us. God's not concerned about that, not impressed by that. God says, I'm focused on how do you do what you're supposed to be doing. And if we still don't get it, I mean, if it's right over our head, he concludes in verse 24, it is Lord Christ, you are serving. Any questions? Any questions? In other words, it's like, at the end of the day, he is the ultimate rewarder. He is the permanent boss and you're supposed to do your job and I'm supposed to do my job with that in mind now I'm going to wrap this up by giving you four statements to kind of pull everything together we've learned uh, Genesis chapter 2 Colossians chapter 3 so maybe you'll have something practical to go home with and I'm going to begin each one of these with regardless of what you do because that's what we're talking about regardless of what you do so here's the first one regardless of what you do what you do Your work has eternal implications even if it doesn't appear to have any earthly value. Now let that sink in. Your work, whatever your job is, has eternal implications even though it doesn't appear to have any earthly value. And maybe not in the sense that your eternity is based, or someone's eternity is is based on what you do at your job. Although it may be, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But in the sense that God is measuring you. And he's judging your faithfulness to him by your faithfulness to doing your job. Paul says you gotta understand there's a relationship. There are eternal implications and there are also eternal consequences. Do you know what that means? That means that when we go to work on Monday, we go first of all knowing that God created work for us Part of being in his image is working. God loves to watch us work and we go understanding that God gave us the responsibility and the opportunity to put our heart into our work and one day we're gonna be rewarded in regards to our faithfulness as to how we did our job and the commitment to how we did our job. Here's the second. Regardless of what you do, how you perform your job, is more important than what your job is. You see, our our, our problem is we get so focused on what our job is and what we have to do. And then we look around and we compare ourselves to other people. Like, wow, that's a better job. That's a much better position, you know. And let's be honest, the grass always looks greener in another job. Doesn't it? The grass always looks greener at another company, doesn't it? I mean, who doesn't want to work at Sass? You know I'm saying? It's like the land of Oz over there. You can be driving down Interstate 40. It can be pouring cats and dogs. Mm, not when you pull into Sass. Bright blue sky. Birds sing louder at Sass than anywhere else. Flowers are more vibrant. You know they even have sushi in their dining room? How about that? You know, they only have bathrooms at SAS for the guests. People that work at SAS, they don't go to the bathroom. That is so, that is so below them. They don't do those kind of things. I mean, these people are perfect. This place is perfect. They got health care and child care. People are jogging at lunch. I mean, it's a little slice of heaven when you go to SAS. So when I go over there, I'm like, well, why can't I work here? I, I could do their job. I, I could, why can't I do that, God, you know? And let me just say, God doesn't, God doesn't mind us asking for a better position. God doesn't mind us saying, God, I'd love to work at that company. He doesn't mind us asking for promotion and pay increases. But this is what God's interested in. That's cool. But what are you doing right now? Because I'm much more concerned about how you're performing right now in the job you have right now than how you think you'll perform when you finally get that promotion, when you finally get that better opportunity. That means that how you perform Monday in the job you're in right now is much more important to God than the job you're actually in. Third, regardless of what you do, great character doesn't make up for poor work ethic. I think back to a friend I had in California. His name was Dick Shippey, and he was one of those guys. He was a business major. He went to Arizona State, and he just got out, and he just loved to start and sell businesses, loved to start and sell businesses. And we would talk to him. He says, Man, there's just something about the deal. It's about it going down. It's about it all coming together. He just, he just loved that, and God obviously had blessed him. In fact, every year he would call me like the last week of December, And although he gave all year, he would say, are we hitting budget, are we behind budget? And I'd say, no, we're behind by this amount. And he'd he'd say, I'll drop a check off tomorrow. Every year that I pastor that church, he always made sure that we ended in the black every year. He was just that kind of guy. Great guy, but this is what he told me one time. I hate hiring Christians. And I said, why? He said, because the minute they know I'm a Christian, they try to take advantage of me. They ask for more than people who aren't Christians. They expect more. They expect me to be more generous. They expect me to be more understanding if they have to take time off. They don't honor their commitment to do what they do. And for that reason, he says, I absolutely hate hiring Christians. So don't get me wrong. As Christians, that's a sad story. We should be people of great character. I mean, we shouldn't steal office supplies. We shouldn't show up late and leave early. We shouldn't call in and say we're sick and then hop in the car and go to the beach. We shouldn't take responsibilities for other people's work and their ideas. We shouldn't fudge on our reports. I mean, we should be people of great character. But in addition to great character, you gotta understand from God's perspective, it's just as important how we do our job. From God's perspective, our work ethic is just as important as our character. Because when you go to work, the question at work isn't, are you a nice person? That's not the question. The issue issue isn't, do you have great character? That's not the issue. The question is, are you getting the job done? Are you faithfully doing what you were hired to do? And you can't use the excuse, well, Mike, it's not that important. That's just the secular world. That's just the marketplace. It really doesn't matter to God. Well, God would disagree with you. In fact, I think God would say, it has everything to do with me. Sure, I've called you to be a man of character, a woman of character in the marketplace. But I've also called you to work with all your heart as if you're actually working for me. And I think God might add, so don't tell me about the insignificance of what you do. I don't really care. Because what I'm concerned about is how you do what you're supposed to be doing. Fourth, regardless of what you do, putting your heart into your work allows God to bless you. It allows God to bless you. You know, if a couple were to walk up to me and say, hey, Mike, uh, we want God to bless our marriage. What should we do? I would say, well... Conduct your marriage by biblical principles. There are these principles that God's laid out in Scripture. I would say if you do marriage that way, you've positioned yourself for God to bless your marriage. And the reason I say that is God doesn't bless disobedience. God blesses obedience. And so God's not going to give you success in an area of your life where you're violating some of his principles. I mean, if you're, if you're married and you're not growing together in Christ, you're not gonna get God's blessing. If one one of you is cheating, you're not gonna get God's blessing. It's the same thing in every aspect of life. It's the same when it comes to our finances. Guys, you want God to partner with you and bless your finances, then do it God's way. Become a person of generosity. You say, well, I don't like that plan. Then you'll continue to struggle with your finances. You're having a hard time as a parent? Begin to follow God's principles for parenting. You know, there are very concrete principles in scripture about parenting. And it was a little disappointing to think we have thousands of parents that attend Hope Community Church. And less than 400 can find time to show up for the Parents Summit. Because what you're saying is what we're doing with our children, the world's philosophy, culture's philosophy, the pressure we're getting from the outside is more important to how we raise our kids than godly principles. And I know you don't know the godly principles. Do you know why I know that? Because I didn't know them. When I was a young parent, I didn't know them. In fact, we're one of the few churches in America that says, we're not just going to take care of your children. We're going to address the real issue as parents who don't have the ability to parent. And if your kids are turning into little hellions, you know, their heads are spinning around, green pea soups flying out of their mouth, you're going to need me. You're going to need me to do that exorcism, right? You know what I'm going to tell you? You probably should have come to the Parent Summit. You might have learned a few things, right? See, this is true in every aspect of our life. So if you want God to bless your work, then you need to go to work and you need to do your job with all of your heart as if you're working for Jesus. And when you do that, you have positioned yourself to be blessable. I don't know if that's a word or not but you've positioned yourself to be blessed by God. But if you wanna be blessed by God, you can't go to work and cut corners. You can't show up late and leave early. You can't do just enough to get by and say, oh God, please get me out of this job and get me in a better job. And God, when you get me in the better job, you're gonna see the cream rise to the top. You're gonna see the best of me. You're gonna see me work with all of my heart. I'm just telling you, it doesn't work that way. In fact, this is what I think God's response is. I don't mind you asking, Hey, maybe one day I'll actually give you a better job or move you to another company. But this is what I'm interested in. What about right now? How are you doing it right now? Because I can't bless you until you can handle this area of your life the way I've asked you to handle this area of your life. And how did he ask us to do it? We do our job. Wherever we are, somewhere between master and slave, we do our job every day as if Jesus Christ is our boss. And when we do it that way, You position yourself to be blessed in what you do. Two closing questions. You're gonna go to work on Monday. What would have to change in your work ethic if you went to work on Monday? Let's forget the whole week, that's too much. Let's just take one day at a time. Suppose you went to work on Monday with the attitude, today I'm working with all my heart as unto the Lord. Today I'm going to work As if Jesus Christ is my boss, could stop into my office any second, look over my shoulder, see what would have to change in your work ethic. What wouldn't you be able to say? What wouldn't you be able to do? What time would you arrive and what time would you leave? How long would you take at lunch? What would you say about your boss? What would you say about those who work with you? What would you have to change if you went to work on Monday with the attitude, today I'm going to work just like God's my boss? Second, can you even do your job as unto the Lord with a clear conscience? I mean, maybe, maybe you're in a job, you're in a career, you're in an industry, and this was a job, a career, a marketplace opportunity that you were in before you ever became a follower of Jesus Christ, before you ever became a Christian. I'm just going to be honest with you. Can you even do that job anymore and do it as if Jesus is your boss? Now, I'm going to talk about this. We're going to spend a whole whole weekend on this topic in a few weeks. But it's really a good time to start thinking about it. Can I really do what I do as unto the Lord? As if I'm working for Jesus. Last week, Laura and I had a quick lunch after uh, the Sunday service. And, of course, it was Super Bowl Sunday. And we had separate cars. And uh, because we've learned that's how you don't fight on Sundays. You take separate cars to work and uh, to church. And uh, some of you might want to try that, by the way. Um, But anyway, she said, well, since you have your car, would you get some ice? We were having a few of our former small group people over for Super Bowl party. And she said, would you get some ice? Get a couple bags of ice. So we were at Beaver Creek, and so uh, the closest place was Target. So I walk into Target, and as I'm walking in, there's a lady coming out with her daughter. And she says, Pastor Mike, how are you? Then she said, oh, that's right, you're so done with us. And she lowered her head. And I thought, at least she's listening. At least she's listening, right? But we laughed, had a good time. But I went and got the ice, and I go to the cashier, and there's this this African-American woman, just beaming. Just beaming and joyful. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? I said, nobody told you this is Super Bowl Sunday? I mean, how can you possibly be this happy, working as a cashier at Target, on Super Bowl Sunday, you must get off before the game. mm nope, I worked the closing and just beaming. And I said, wow, you're the happy. I've been to church all day, you're the happiest person I've met all day. And she said, well, what do you do? <laughs> well, I'm like the grumpiest pastor you ever met in your life, you know. She said, you're a minister? I said, yeah, she said. I work for Jesus, too. And I thought, you know what? She gets it. Whatever you do, whatever role God has determined right now, this is the role I want you in, you do with all your heart as if you're doing it for Jesus. And he will bless you. Not just on this earth, but when it really matters when it really matters let's pray father thank you for these practical truths from your word and thank you that every area of our lives father you've addressed in your scripture nothing nothing that you've left out because you want our character to become like your character you want us to be conformed to the very image of your son Jesus Christ and so you left no stone unturned and when I think about our work and for some of us it is our life it is our life we spend so much time there and whether we're raising children or running a company or pushing a broom or driving a truck or making software. Whatever it is, Father, it, it, it is so many. We identify with it. it. It's who we are. And you say, but do it. Are you doing it for the right reasons? Why are you doing it? How are you doing it? I'll bless you if you do it as if you're working for me. Have that kind of attitude. And Father, we're going to see in this series what happens in our lives, what happens at work, what happens in the lives of people around us at work when we actually work with this attitude and do it your way. And we thank you right now, God, for what you're going to do in our lives and do in our community because we're going to become a workforce that works for you and brings honor and glory to you And everything we do. We give you the credit right now, ahead of time. In your name we pray. Amen.